you have your Bibles, take them out and check out Matthew chapter 5. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the critical, critical passages in all of the Bible. Not that some of the Bible is more important than the rest, but to understand your scriptures, to really stand on the right things, you've got to understand what the Son of God says on the Sermon on the Mount. So we've tackled that. We've jumped in this incredible, amazing parallel that is Israel's history where Jesus, representing the new Moses, goes up on the mountain and in, instead of receiving from God, he is God and he gathers the people to him. And last week we thought about and talked about the amazing words he speaks first, which are the Beatitudes, the blessings. How incredible that you are blessed if you're spiritually bankrupt the heart of God that gets revealed as Jesus says, you know God's heart's like this. And he comforts. And he gives the kingdom to people that don't deserve it. And you've heard that and you know that if you have any kind of experience in Christianity, we, we basically like know that God is the one who's done it all for us. But almost always what we start to do is we start to say, okay, fine, I'm saved. What do I do next? Isn't there some role for me? Aren't there things God has me to do? It can't just be about a God who acts. I get this wonderful heart of God, but what about all the rest? Don't tell me that God just loves the spiritually bankrupt. There's instruction from God on how to live. That's one of the reasons we gather is to hear that. Swanson, right? So, so with that, people many times, and maybe you, they start to say, we don't talk enough about what we're supposed to do. I get this a lot here around grace land. You know, y'all are weak on the law. There's our part you gotta do. I love the law. I particularly love how Jesus presents it here. The Son of God actually came and helped us interpret the entire Old Testament law. Man, I want to know what he says. I want to know what he means. I want to know what's going on. And, and, and so this, this idea of grace to you and me and our stand on grace, which we have, and if you haven't experienced that in our midst, you should, because I'll tell you, we are more broken than we know. We are more loved in Jesus than we can comprehend as the lifeblood of our church. And that means we've got the highest view of the law that you could possibly have. We think the law is the absolute best, most amazing statement from God about what you should do that you could possibly have. Don't miss that. And don't miss how Jesus sets it up with Israel, this covenant relationship that he's going to have. Do you know the law that it was set up by God on the mountain was after he'd done amazing things for them. He delivered them. He took them through the Red Sea. He brought them to the mountain. And he said, I'm going to have a relationship with you. This is what you need to do to keep relationship with me. That's the law of God. Whoa. Never was like, I'm going to get to God by doing this. It was a response to what God had done for them. Okay, a lot of you are going, oh, I got, I got a more. Please tell me more. 
That's what we're looking at this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. We begin, it's a couple weeks, but what does God expect of you? What's your part in keeping relationship with him? Because these listeners, as Jesus gathered the people, they were very certain about what it meant. Their part of keeping relationship with God. What's your part? That becomes the question, right? What part of it do I? So, so Jesus doesn't somehow say, don't worry, you guys. Don't do it. Just chill. That's, that's actually not the way to think about it. There's a different way to think about it from Jesus. And he does it today. And it's uncomfortable. But we need to hear it. So that's what I want to do. It's salt and light and law. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're starting with the salt of the earth. I love salt. It's such a great image Jesus uses, and it's everything, right? It's preservative, it's taste, it's, it was even wages for the Romans. It was, it's a very necessary thing. If you tried salt-free food, man, the doctors tell me I should. No thanks. It's delicious. It's good for you to have some taste, right? And so Jesus says that. Here's what he says here in Matthew, coming off the Beatitudes, then he says this. You, verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Whoa. I mean, you go from the blessings to something that sounds like, uh uh-oh. I mean, if you're honest, right? You, You treasure people, you salt of the earth, you give everything flavor, but you know what? If you're indistinguishable from dirt then we should just toss you in the dirt and trample on you. That's kind of a downer statement. Man, you are the salt, you know, but there's real danger. And and honestly, there's there's something going on here. Jesus has gathered his people to him, right? The people that that, that Jesus is, is among, who he came to, who he was, he was a Jew. And he's standing here on the new mount, like Mount Sinai, and Israel's gathered to him. And, and he makes this reference, and he's talking about the, the, store, the first five books of the Bible. He's talking about how they received the law of God. He's interpreting for them this idea, because the proclamation has always been this incredible thing, that, uh, how amazingly blessed the, the Israel is and, and was, because God chose them to be his people. You know, in the Old Testament, it's real clear. It's like, I didn't choose you because you were great people. I didn't choose you because you were like the creme de la creme or something. He said, but, but you're going to be my representatives to the world. That was the thought back then. Right? Their specialness was that God had chosen them. So God blessed them and he was their deliverer and their rescuer and he went before them and he took care of them and he was incredible to them. And they had a relationship, this special people, a covenant. And so they looked different. They were his peculiar people, his set apart people. You know, the whole sign that they had where they had a piece cut off, the whole thing where they didn't eat shrimp or seafood, the whole thing where they didn't eat pork, the whole thing where you didn't have two kinds of linen in the same shirt. This is all God saying, you know what? You're going to look different. You're taking a whole day and you're just going to rest. Other people might call you crazy, but I'm telling you, you're going to be different. Especially what they did was obey his commands. 
the covenant commands. Right, the Ten Commandments and all that followed there because God had promised Abraham way back in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, way back in the Old Testament that, that, that he would be a blessing to many nations. He'd be the father of many nations, that the world would be blessed through him. How is that going to happen? God's special nation. That, that's what it says. In you, Genesis 12 says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so the people gathered there were the descendants of and, and had entered into this relationship with God that was based on them replying to God, responding to God with obedience. Their obedience. In order that, not, not so they'd get from God, although there was a get from God, but, but, but so that they could be showing the amazing wonders of the blessings of God that he'd already done for them and he continued to provide for them to the nations. That's kind of cool. Let's show it here. Here's, here's uh, if we can get there, here's Exodus chapter 19. Now therefore... This Mount Sinai. This is the same setting as that Jesus is talking here. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. This is God talking to Moses. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is just what it is, right? He's like, you're going to be my, my, a kingdom of priests. What's a priest? You mediate God's presence to the other people who don't know these things. You're, you're, you're a holy nation. That doesn't mean you're more righteous. That means you are set apart. You're peculiar. You're, you're different. Okay. So how blessed are the nobodies? That's the Beatitudes, right? Losers, the spiritually bankrupt. But my people, the history of God actually choosing you. Man, if you stopped obeying the covenant, are you just like dirt? The problem's not the question. The problem's the answer. Right? For them and for you. I, I want to let that simmer. Like, so my question for you, I, 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 you can't keep away from it, right? There's no way to get away from this because I, I, I say, okay, well, it's them and they're supposed to ask that question. Like, boy, if we're not keeping covenant with God and in our obedience and in our keeping of the commandments, are, are, are we just worthless? And you pull that and take one step towards you. How do you answer that question? Are you just worthless? What are you doing to keep covenant with God? And again, the problem's not the question. The problem's how you answer. Keep going. Here we go. So it's not just about salt. It's about light. Jesus says right away, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus makes another statement, right, to the people gathered around him. He's talking about Israel again. You are this. Everyone sees it. If a city's up on a hill, you can't hide it. There's, there's lights that you can see. And I can tell oh, there's a city up there because there's light coming out. 
This is what you are, right? Says Jesus to his covenant people gathered around. Nor do people light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it, it gives light to all the house. That would be kind of ridiculous. We take a lamp and we light it and, and, and then you stick it under a basket so it's not actually providing light. That would be stupid, says Jesus. You don't do it. You shine out who you are. And so Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So, so here's the thought. You're the light, Israel. A light to the world, a city on a hill. There's no way to hide. Well-established covenant relationship with God. They weren't to forget all the incredible blessings that he'd done and was doing for them all the time. And so they would keep the covenant commandments. Those good works, it says, are beautiful actions that reflect the wonder of God's blessing to them. That's who you are. They were supposed to be this. Salty. Lit. We even made shirts one here that you started. Salty and lit. Right? You're going to start doing that. And, and by the response of obedience, not just the law, also the prophets calling them to it. That, that's how they'd read it, right? What do I mean? Well, take this. Here's Isaiah chapter 42, and it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Israel was chosen to be a light for the nations. You're gonna, I'm blessing you. You're my people. I own the earth, God says, but I'm, you're my special people, my set-apart people, my different people, and you go shine. What was shining Doing the good works? Is it any surprise that what we want to do is take Israel and put me? How you doing? Being salt and being light and doing what God says. I'd say this is the primary way people start to go down these lines. Again, the problem's not the question, it's the answer you do, do we give to this idea of obedience to the covenant commandments, showing their covenant faithfulness. That's what you want to point to, and, and what we want to point to then is my good deeds of what I'm doing to respond to the wonder of what God has for me. It's natural. This is what the world does. This is what Christians start to do. We start to think in these lines because it's natural to think in these lines. This is the setup. This is what it was about, right? And here's Jesus asking them. He's not telling them. He's asking them. Are you salty? How's your light? And my, my response, my normal response is not to spit. My normal response is to say, okay. Uh, l- l- let me get on that. That's what it is, right? I mean, I mean, Jesus, right in their face, he's not shying away a little bit because where he goes with that is, okay, 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 how are you doing? And let's talk about the law. The law. The law of God. He's, he means the Ten Commandments. He means the first five books of the Bible. He means their establishment of relationship through God blessing them and their obedient response to him. 
Do not think, says Jesus, I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Big deal. They thought, okay, well, Jesus now is saying, hey, the spiritually bankrupt are blessed. And and so you might think, well, we're going to toss all these commandment stuff. We're going to toss all this obedient stuff. We're going to toss it all away. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Be free and live and, 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 and whatever. Wait. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to make them full. I came to complete them, to fulfill them. This is Jesus affirming the Old Testament. He's not talking wisdom literature per se. He's not talking about sort of practical guide to wise living. He's talking about the relationship that, that people have with God. Right, that was the law and then the prophets. God's relationship with Israel, the promises of God to Abraham and David, the story of his chosen people, all of it. He said, I didn't come to sweep that under a rug. I'm not taking that away. I'm not acting like that never happened. And particularly the commandments. Right, the showing of God's heart that you, Israel, do. I didn't come to abolish that, but to fulfill them, to make it full. And all of that beautiful demonstration of what God has done, who God is, I came to fulfill I hear that. I don't know if you do. And my first response is, oh, he's established it. So now me, as a believer in Jesus, I'm going to fulfill those things. That's what I'm going to work on now. That's what I hear. I'm wrong. That's what I hear. I don't know if you hear that. Stay, but it's strong. It's important. The law is not little. The law is not something that we say, oh, it doesn't matter. No, listen to what Jesus says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know, not even a little tiny scribal beast. Every single thing. In fact, he goes on, right? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches to others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He goes like, Jesus goes like in the opposite direction of what I I, I would normally think he would do. He'd say, oh no, get rid of that stuff. You didn't do it. No, he says, no, wait. He's not identifying the most important ones. I love it how people do that now and today. They say, you know, we break the law into different pieces and some of it's no longer valid. Which one? The least one? Is that an iota or a dot? He doesn't do that. Jesus says, no, it's incredibly important. All of it's accomplished. I'm not telling you to relax it or decrease it, to not teach it. I affirm it just like it always has been. You know, the king was to make his own copy of the law. The priests were to, to, to put it on their heart, put it on their foreheads. The people like wrote it on their doorposts. 
There's no lessening of that. And if you relax the law and you teach others to lower the law, you're the least in the kingdom of heaven. If you do them, if you keep them high, if you teach them, great in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't come to take away the covenant relationship of God with man. He came to establish it. This is huge. This is God talking about the law and he's going to interpret it for us. You do need righteousness. Let me keep going. Last verse. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Huge high bar because the scribes and Pharisees spent their lives doing this law. They made laws about the laws to keep themselves from like breaking the laws. They studied the law. They knew it cold. What do you think of Deuteronomy 7? Uh, What's Deuteronomy 7? Pharisee wouldn't respond that way. He would start quoting it to me. He would know it. They were focused on the jots and the tittles. You need more than them or you won't ever get into the kingdom. This is the preaching, the sermon on the mount. And God starts out with the best news ever for you and me. The nobodies, the bankrupt, morally, spiritually, we, we get given heaven. And then he comes and says, I don't, do you understand that? And he hits you where you live. Are you salty? Are you lit? Are you shining? for God, right? That I start to feel that. I start to hear that. I start to take that in. God's special people are salt to the earth. If you're not that, you're worthless. God's special people are light of the world. You should have beautiful work shining and highlighting what God has done. And that goes along with the special relationship in the Old Testament that God had with Israel. Jesus said the law is affirmed. Not a single tiny piece is to be misplaced. In fact, if you have the righteousness only of the most scrupulous law keepers that the people that Jesus is talking to had ever known, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. That same kingdom of heaven that somehow God's going to give to the spiritually bankrupt. It's all true. Be salt, need to shine, have more righteousness, can't lower the law. And so if you're honest with me and you start looking and you start really thinking about this, you should be saying, Dax, you're really confusing me. You just spent... 15 minutes confusing me. I feel bad. I don't know what to do. It doesn't make sense entirely. <laughs> it does. You just need to feel this. You need to feel the weight of the law. And you're not feeling it yet. Because the most common thing that we all do is we get straight ethical call that you can hear with the view that Jesus is requiring what you can fulfill. It's an interpretation about you and your willpower. You need to be the salt. Saltiness is law keeping. Jesus came to uphold the law, so you need to do better than the Pharisees. 
That, that's what I hear. That's how I painted it for you. Jesus said not just you need to be light, but you are light if you're God's people. So you need to shine the works of the law so people can see how special God is. Jesus is saying then in this view that I'm presenting to you, get to work. How come you're not better? If you're not better, you're getting tossed and trampled because you're not salty enough. That's what I can hear in these passages. That's, there's a way in which that's not wrong. How is it not wrong? God does away with mediocrity. I want to say that again. God does away with mediocrity. What do I mean? If you don't do better than the best, you're not in the kingdom. Are you doing better than the best? What's the question that you got to ask if I ask you? What is it I got to do? What is it I've got to do? I mean, honestly, I say, well, those Pharisees, they were terrible people. I'll do it better. So here's the law. Get it done. You know what? They, they were whitewashed tombs, those guys. I won't be a whitewashed tomb. I'll actually do it better. Okay. That's a possible response. That's okay. You're going to do it better than the Pharisees. It being the law, the commandments of God, the things that keep you in relationship with God. You're driven towards law-keeping, and you can hear it that way, right? God requires you to be better than the best, and that's how you shine. That's how other nations will see how great God is, by your amazing law-keeping. So what's with your mediocrity? What's with your daily failures? What's with the times that you aren't what you should be and you break the Ten Commandments and you covet or, or, you, or you lie or even you murder? What's with adultery? You think? And so you get on these lines, right? You get, you get Barna makes these notations about how many people get divorced inside the church and outside the church. Guess what? It's the same tragedy you get views on who's looking at pictures inside the church and outside the church and it's the same horrible who are you people do it better that's what we can hear right is that what god requires so, so say, Dex, I, I know you don't mean that, do you? No, I don't. I think it's terrible. But, but in yourself, if what you're going to do is stand before God and say, I'm going to keep covenant relationship with God based on me. I'm going to respond to God and keep myself in right standing with God by me and by what I do. You go there. You don't go towards mediocrity. Because there's another way. There's another thing Jesus is actually doing. He's saying, you don't do any of that. When he says, boy, boy, if you're not salty, you deserve to be trampled underfoot. You deserve to be trampled underfoot. That's what he's saying to Israel. That's what the law and the prophets actually say, right? If you go to the law and the prophets, you say, okay, what does the Bible actually say about how Israel did keeping the law? You read Hosea. Hosea, go marry a prostitute because that's Israel. You read over and over. You read even golden calf much? God's on the mountain giving them the law and they're down on the base worshiping idols. How about Ezekiel? Oh, the great prophet who like showed the glory of God rising from the temple and leaving. Why are they leaving? Because they're not keeping the law. 
over and over and over. People don't. And so we come in and say, you know what? We'll do it better. Those Pharisees, they didn't do it well. We'll do it better. Hey, you stupid person. I'm so stupid when I do that. I don't do it better. You don't do it better than the Pharisees. There's got to be another way. And in fact, Jesus is pointing to another way. I really think you'll see it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's awesome. Jesus is these things. That, that verse I gave you from Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for... Who is that? It's not you. It's Jesus. He stands up, right? John 8, I am the light of the world. He's the light. He's the salt. Acts 26, Paul says it this way, saying nothing but what the prophet said Moses would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. There's another way. It's not your law-keeping Jesus the light, he's the fulfillment of the law, not me. I can't. It's not that the law isn't beautiful, it's higher and more precise than even I think. There's not one jot or tittle, Jesus says, will be taken away until it's all completely fulfilled, made full by Jesus, the Son of God, and he's standing on the seat of Moses. It reminds me of the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking. Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the better Moses. He's both sides, right? That's got to mean something to you and me. So this second way that I'm talking about sees you and me, sees, sees us as spiritually bankrupt, totally dependent on the heart of God for us. That sounds like the first beatitude. If I have any saltiness, it's that I point away from my law-keeping into this. If I have any beauty to highlight, it's his beauty for me. If I consider any fulfillment of the law, it's Jesus who is actually the one who keeps it all. Both sides. If this is true, Jesus is looking directly at the old covenant and condemning those who think they keep it. I didn't come to abolish that. I'm the one who keeps it. So if this is true, Tell me it is. Then you should be saying, I need some proof that the laws are not actually kept by these Pharisees who were so careful. I need proof that behavior modification is not what Jesus is after. This is so huge. Because, because if I read this a certain way, it's show by your good works, show by your behavior that God is good and therefore the nations will come to God. That's a whole pathway that people have walked down and they still push you down all the time. If you would just shape up, then God would be glorified. If that's not true, then God's not primarily about behavior modification. He's already cleared out the halfway, Jesus has, right? You know, try your best, that's all anyone can do. No, 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 your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees. The ones who are serious more than you're serious. You gotta be better than them. You gotta really get there if you're gonna go. None of this mediocre stuff. So, so, so the mediocre stuff's gone. But what about the, okay, God, this is, I, you're everything to me. I, I, I'll do it. 
Jesus didn't come to say God's standards are irrelevant. This is important because a lot of the religious leaders of the day would say Jesus didn't care about the law. He ate with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. I'd have to have proof that what's required is in conformity to a moral standard because the Pharisees did that in spades. That's what they did. You have to be shown that just doing right without desiring it was bad, not good. You know, I just can't believe that this is what we actually teach today in so many churches. You know what? You're an extra strong person if you do what you don't want to do. Think about that for 20 seconds. Like you say, okay, you know what? I... I, I really wanted to sleep, but I got up this morning and had my quiet time. I had to struggle through it because I really wanted to sleep, but I did what was right. What did you just show? You're not very good. Why didn't you want to do it? Why didn't you leap up with joy to do what was God tells you to do? Right? But we, get, we wear it like badges of honor. You know what? I really wanted to do something bad, but I chose the right thing. I did the hard thing. Why didn't you want to? What's your problem? Because a real person would want to do that if they're saying, I'm actually doing what's right. Gotta let that get in. You need a bar so high that it even caught the intentions and the desires that we have. We need to be able to put aside forever the idea that trying to have good behavior did anything because then I'd be left with no good news from the law. If the law was so high, so deep, if the law judged my thoughts and not my outside, all of society is based on the law judging your outside. Are you speeding? I'll give you a ticket. Did you worry about speeding? I don't care. Did you think about hopping on the computer and looking at bad pictures? I don't care. It's, I wonder if you did it. Did you, did you cheat on your taxes or just think about how you hate paying taxes? I don't care about hating paying taxes. Everybody does. I just want to know if you cheated. Do, do, do you see how if what matters is the outside, then the, what the heart is doesn't really matter, and that would be just fine. But if it does go inside and even my thoughts need to be better than they are. All of a sudden I'm answering the are you salt as no not. Not me. The rescuer would need to be salt and light for me. The rescuer would fulfill the law for me. The rescuer would free me from myself. We have a name for that way. We call it the gospel. And Jesus, right here on the Sermon on the Mount, he does not shy away from using his sermon to close off any hope in the law. He doesn't say, hey, guys, just give it a try. He says, you gotta have better obedience than the Pharisees. Not one jot, not one tittle, none of it will be gone. None of it. It's so important. It's so imperative. The Old Testament is about God's relationship with man. It has always been looking for a savior. Because the law requires a grateful heart of obedience and you don't qualify. Jesus does. That's why I'm here this morning. 
That's why my life is this, because I receive what he's done. I trust him for me and for you. You let her heart be touched with the love that God has for you, because one-way love is what love is. And, and, and so, so, so what I want to do, this is, this is a two-part thing, because you have to get the proof. You say, hey, Dax, we need to take the salt and the light and the law seriously. I say, amen, you sure do. It needs to crush you. You say, yeah, 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 but with a little help, I'm going to do it. Then you need to hear what's coming next because Jesus is just starting his sermon. And he says, hey, it's okay. You, you need to do the law. And you should be asking, is it really about my very intentions always being great? Or is it just about me sort of holding the line of what I look like? Because the way we're talking about that you have no hope requires that your heart be shown to be important. It wasn't true. God didn't say that in the old covenant. The 10 commandments don't say beyond the idea of loving God. It doesn't say, Hey, don't think about adultery. It says, don't do it. They couldn't even do that. How are you doing? But then the question becomes, I don't really even care what you're, how's your heart doing? We're going to look next week for proof of this. Get ready. It's strong and it's real and it's true. God is looking for goodness all the way through and we don't have it in ourselves, but we have it in Jesus. And that's the best news you could ever have. I'll end with this. It's Jesus, not just saying he's the light of the world. The righteousness of God has been shown apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through trusting in Jesus for all who believe. This is the radical change that the Sermon on the Mount brings. He says, I don't take away the law, I fulfill it. And so if you're here today and you say, hey, I am a little bit sad that we at Grace are not just a stronger proponents of doing better of me showing my obedience to God as the basis for my relationship with him. That's good. Stay tuned for next week. But if you're here today and you say, I I see it, Dax, I see that, man, I'm worthless. I can't do this. The law and its perfection, the things God requires me to do, I've even failed just the raw Ten Commandments. You're the person who's ready and, and, and here today with me to say, My hope's in Jesus. My hope's not in me keeping a thing. My hope's in Jesus for me. My relationship is in Jesus for me. The receiving I'm doing is what Jesus did for me. My relationship with God's never gonna be how well I did in the law because I just won't do it. It'll never happen. It's not that the law's bad, it's beautiful, but I can't. You're getting close to the actual purpose of Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. He is our light forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing sermon that you gave, son of God, and yet fully man. How important that is for us. That you did become the very basis of our relationship with our God by your sacrifice, by what you have done, by who you are. Thank you that you became a human being for us. Lord, our trust and our hope is fully in you and in nothing else, not in ourselves. 
We proclaim that. Help us to live it, Lord. We're so grateful for you. In your precious name, amen.